Happy Monday to you, and welcome to Keep Your Pads Down, your home for all things defensive line play. If you've never checked us out before, we drop new episodes every Monday. And although we are unapologetically geared towards the defensive line in our content, we have plenty of episodes that step outside of that realm and provide outstanding value for any coach or person in a leadership role. And today is one of those episodes. Today, we are joined by one of the country's most sought-after experts in leadership and culture. He's here today to share with us how to make your team or business, or organization, or even relationships, the absolute best that they can be. Today, we're talking with Tim Kite, the founder of an organization called Focus 3, which is a group that helps organizations build better leaders, better culture, better behavior. But before we get to Tim, I want to introduce you to our co-host for this episode. I'm thrilled to be joined today by my good friend and our defensive coordinator here at Pleasant Grove, Clint Fuller. Clint, what's up, man? Uh, Not much. Thank you for having me on the podcast today. Yeah, this is awesome. When I found out that we'd had this opportunity to talk to Tim, I definitely wanted you to be a part of this because I know we sort of share in our uh, our admiration of Tim, and you know, so I'm really excited we get to talk to him. Now, Clint is a former guest on this show. He was he was our our guest for episode number 37, where we talked a lot about our defense here at PG, some game planning, breaking down opponents. So if that's something you're into, definitely go back and check out that episode. A ton of great stuff in there. Okay, Clint. Now, not to to make you nervous or anything, but you know today's guest he, he's kind of a big deal. Absolutely, he is. Yeah. Well, real quick, why don't you start off by telling us how you kind of stumbled on Tim's stuff and why you become such a big fan of his? Sure. Um, I I happened to just read an article, I guess, in October about Urban Meyer starting a podcast, um, and so when we got in the off season, I just uh, went back and, and started listening to his podcast, and then it was, he, the podcast was, was with Tim Kite, and you and I were talking one day about about Urban Meyer's podcast and Tim Kite, and you're like, hey, have you ever read the book Above the Line? And and I said, no, you know, I, I've, heard, I, I've heard of it before, but I never read it, and so you loaned me the book, and, and I read the book, and, and I was hooked on, you know, Tim Kite and, and even Urban Meyer. Um, and just the way that they structure culture and, and how they, they lay out a blueprint for developing a, a, a winning culture. Yeah, you know, at, at my previous job there at Tyvee, we actually read Above the Line as a staff. I think it was um, maybe like the summer of 2016. And, and that's where I was first introduced to, you know, concepts like, you know, BCD, E plus R equals O, 4 to 6, A to B, and so on. And, and, and I loved it. Um, you know, it's not earth shattering stuff by any means, but I think it kind of put things that I felt like I already stood for that, that we were trying to do as coaches and kind of put it in a um, a cate- category or something or categorize those things where I could start to like, all right, here's what I want us, our, our, my position group to look like. or Here's what I want our defense to look like. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And the, the other thing I like about it, which, you know, it's, it's, Tim Kite's kind of different than other leadership books that I've read is it shows you how to roll up your sleeves and actually put it into action. It doesn't just—it's not just kind of like full of cliches, um, yeah. but it actually shows you or illustrates to you how how to put that stuff into action. I think that's really important. Yeah, you know, and actually that year, um, 2016, I actually started teaching a lot of this stuff because I wanted to kind of like—I needed some guinea pigs, and I had a couple classes that year that were just like straight up just just some turds in those classes so i was like all right screw this i'm gonna spend 10 minutes like i did i would do like 10 minutes a week and i would i would like basically 
Uh, I developed a, like a PowerPoint or whatever with, with all this stuff from that book on it. And I would just talk about it with them. And I got a lot of fish faces looking back at me a lot of days, but I wanted like to try to test, test this stuff out on them. And it, it, it did. I think it worked and it had an impact on, on some of those classes. And so that's kind of where I was like, okay, you know, this stuff is, is, is legit. And like you said, it does walk you through about how to actually implement the stuff with your program to where it's more than just a poster on your wall. Absolutely. And, and I, I think that's the best part of it. Um, and you, you put it in the use. I, I've done the same thing. Uh, and you and you put it into action, and you can actually see the results from yeah. it. Yeah. All right. So I mentioned a few of the, the principles from the Above the Line book. You know, like I said, BCD, E plus R equals O. Uh, you told me, um, you know, that, that book has been the best book you've ever read on leadership. Why? Um, just like I said before, I think it's it's not just you know a lot of books you read on uh, leadership or have a bunch of cl- cliches and a bunch of things you can put on a poster. But it doesn't really get it down into the nitty gritty and, and kind of give you actions to lead. And um, I think that's the, the best thing about it is it actually shows you from A to C uh, how to lead and, and, and tells you how to develop these principles that you're, you're trying to get in your own leadership and, and, and the people that are following you. Yeah. And I want to talk about uh, their podcast because that's that's something I think we kind of stumbled on that around the same time, because I remember you said something to me about it, how you had, you had found it. And, you know, I'm always I listen to podcasts a lot and, and I think I'd kind of found it, you know, like when you're listening to a podcast and you scroll down to the bottom and they give you suggestions, you know, of, of to other similar podcasts. So that's kind of how I found uh, Tim's The Focus 3 podcast. Yeah, same thing, and it's it's uh, all stuff that man. As soon as you get done listening to it, you're like, all right, I I got to go write this down or do something because this stuff's too good to just to, for me to just you know go in one ear out the other. And it's 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 stuff that's it's practical enough to where you can't implement it right now. But I really like their podcast because first of all, you know they're about 45 minutes long, so they're not you know they're not overly long or, or real wordy, um, and it gets right down to the point, you know and Mm-hmm. Um, I think he and Urban play well off of each other, and and they've had a couple really good ones. I know you and I both listened to the one that he did recently uh, that Tim did with with the Ohio State strength coach uh, Mickey Morardi, and you know it was talked about just embracing or enjoying doing the hard stuff. Um, and so it's not only does is it is it him and 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 Coach Meyer talking about some really really awesome things and some powerful things, but it's also uh, you know he'll bring on some great guests as well. Absolutely. And they, they do a great job, just like in the book above the line. It's all it's based around stories. So there's there's actually, you know, stories behind what they're doing. Um, and they tell some some really great stories about, um, you know, how what this leadership, what leadership looks like. And um, it's a it's a great it's a great podcast. And I, I, I when I started, when I found it, I just started binge listening to them yeah. one after another. Um, and um, there, there's some really, really good stuff. Uh, in those podcasts. Yeah, this isn't like, uh, you know, stuff that's hypothetical, that, that works in a vacuum. Like there's solid proof that, that the stuff that Tim and, and, and Coach Meyer are talking about in their podcast and stuff that Tim talks about uh, just on, his, on, on their Focus 3 website, which you can go and check out. Uh, there's a link to that in the show notes for this, for this episode. But there's, you know, that stuff actually works. There's tangible evidence of these, these principles that he, uh, that he, instills or that they have instilled at Ohio State and other places that they actually work. And he mentions those 
you know, whether it be Southwest Airlines, he's, he talks about their culture, and I don't know if he's worked with them specifically, but just talks about their culture uh, in one of his one of his latest episodes. Um, obviously, Ohio State, uh, you know, the things that they're doing there. So uh, just some really, really great stuff. And if you haven't checked that out, coaches, or even if you're a business leader in any type of leadership role, you should definitely check out check out that podcast. Well, I, I'm thrilled to get to talk to Tim today, and I know you are as well, Clint. So uh, before we get, begin our conversation, let me tell you a little more about Tim and his background. As I mentioned before, Tim is the founder of Focus3, a firm whose mission is to help companies around the world align the power of leadership, culture, and behavior to achieve next-level results. A dynamic communicator, Tim focuses on the critical factors that distinguish great organizations from average organizations. He delivers a powerful message on the mindset and skills at the heart of individual and organizational performance. Companies across the United States are recognizing Tim as a powerful voice on the performance of people and organizations. With a contagious energy, Tim provides insight into the physics of performance. Tim's ability to connect with and inspire individuals, teams, and leaders has yielded exceptional reviews from organizations throughout the country. Tim combines a unique background of research and practical experience to bring compelling insights to the real-world challenges of leading, managing, and winning in today's competitive marketplace. Most recently, Tim has worked closely with Urban Meyer, and the Ohio State football team is the Buckeyes' leadership coach. His work with Ohio State has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Sports Illustrated, and ESPN. After briefly attending Ohio State University, Tim received his undergraduate degree from UCLA and a graduate degree from Princeton. He has 25-plus years of experience consulting in healthcare, banking, professional services, manufacturing, and athletics. Tim is the author of several high-impact training programs, including the R-Factor, Lead Now, The Power of Culture, Winning, and Attitude Matters. All right, well, Clint, you ready to go? Absolutely. Let's get it. All right, well, let's get to it. Here is Tim Kite on episode number 60 of KYPD. Tim, let me begin by saying that it is an honor to be talking with you today. Clint and I are both big fans, and we are so thankful that you chose to join us today. Well, it's my privilege, guys. Um, I've been doing a lot of uh, Zoom meetings, podcasts, uh, literally all over the world. So it's I'm, I'm glad you reached out, and I'm glad we're able to carve this time out together. Well, Tim, as I mentioned in the opener, you're the CEO of Focus 3. So let's start off by you uh, telling us what Focus 3 is exactly and how that philosophy originated for you and how you've been developing and refining that philosophy over the years. Uh, good question. Focus three stands for leadership, culture, behavior. Those are the three things, the three disciplines that we teach and consult and, and um, train on. And we work in all kinds of organizations, businesses, uh, schools, teams, uh, in literally teaching and, and installing leadership culture and behavior skill and they're all about helping and i think if you back it up ty in terms of our core mission it's really about equipping people to take the ownership of their 20 square feet of, where, of whatever school or team or organization where they are and be great in their 20 square feet whether that's the leader or teammate or the employee or associate i was just a deep believer that everybody matters and so the leadership culture behavior is what focus three is about and I've been doing it for almost four years. And I, I'm probably more excited about it now than I was when I started the company 40 years ago. I'm, I never get tired of these conversations. And I still don't know as much about leadership, culture, and behavior as I want to. 
and it's a privilege every time you get hired to come into an organization or a team to help them take it to the next level. But it's it's about those three things. And just this is a quick side note on that. Having done it for as long as I have, and as many organizations as I have, it's it's I'm still a bit surprised that more organizations and teams don't approach leadership, culture, and behavior skill more systematically. That there's a lot of I call it dabbling. A lot of people dabble at this stuff. And we've got a statement that we put into Urban's book that average coaches have quotes, good coaches have plans, elite coaches have a system. And and really what we do is we help people use a systematic approach to building better leaders, a systematic approach to building a better culture, a systematic approach to building better behavior skills. And it's ironic, leaders and organizations that need it the least want it the most. And organizations and leaders that need it the most tend to want it the least. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you, you, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe you ran track at UCLA. Is that correct? Well, one year at Ohio State and then UCLA. So I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, went to Ohio State my first year, track and field, and then transferred to UCLA. So, yes, three years uh, with the Bruins back in the uh, 70s. So you were able to witness uh, uh, John Wooden's ninth and 10th national championships. And, and I know that had a big impact on you being that close to that team and that program and being able to watch them and observe them. What, what do you remember? What, what was it about Coach Wooden's teams that made them so elite? Yeah, I mean, it was unique. I've told this story many times. And, and the locker room for track and field was in the same building as basketball. Obviously, our track was outside, and our weight room was someplace else. But our locker room was in that building, and we were the only other athletic team. Football was across the across the way from us, but we we were in that building. So I actually interfaced uh, informally with Coach Woodman and the basketball team a great deal. And the first thing that struck me about Coach Wooden was that he was intense without anger. He brought energy and intensity to everything that he did, and he never got mad. And I'd grown up in an era where every coach was mad all the time. I mean, yeah. it's, you play, I, I played football in high school, um, and it just, you know, it was just like if a coach wasn't, if a coach was intense, it almost always was anger. Yeah. And, or, or at least they were easily angry, and, and they yelled and screamed and cussed and, Back then they hit you. You know, back in the old days it was it was physical too. You know, in fact it was. I laugh now. Back when I played football, you know, two days of if you drank water during practice, you're not you weren't allowed to. First, you took salt pills and you were supposed to. You were not supposed to drink water. Yeah. And if you did, you were you were weak. You know. Yeah. I was surprised more of us didn't die. It was incredible. Um, so that's the first thing about Coach Wooden is he had this unbelievable ability to harness and focus energy in a way that was always productive. Was never disruptive, never negative. It was always productive. And then uh, I'll say another thing. He he and he taught me this. And I, I, as we talked about leadership, as I would ask him questions all the time about it, and he said, communicate, educate, motivate. Don't intimidate. He said that's the job of a coach is to communicate, educate, and motivate. And intimidate isn't on the list. And he never, ever, ever tried to intimidate anyone. He just simply was an elite communicator, an elite educator, an elite motivator. When I watch coaches today, and as I help coaches today, I, that's my message to them. That is your job. 
And 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 I always say this to a coach, and I'll say it to you two guys. You know, when you look across the football field at your equivalent across the field, whether your, your, it's your communication skills versus that guy. It's your education skills versus that guy. It's your motivation skills versus that guy. And if you do it better than he did, your group's going to win their matchups and contribute to a victory. If that guy does it better than you, you're probably going to get your black kick. And if you're if you're an average to a poor coach, you'll blame your kid. If you're an elite coach, you'll look at yourself. Yeah. And that was Coach Wood. You know, intensity without anger, world-class education, communication, and motivation. Can you discuss the, uh, the, the performance pathway with us and just talk about what that is and maybe give a real-life example of how you've seen that dynamic play out in, in, in a real-world scenario? Well, it sounds like you guys have done your homework prior to this <laughs> podcast, <laughs> right? Yeah. You guys, oh, yeah. You guys, you guys know a bit about what we do, huh? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, the performance pathway, we've actually already talked about it. It's focus three. Get leaders build culture. Culture drives behavior. And behavior produces results. So that's the pathway. Leadership, culture, behavior, results. And we call them the pathway because it's about program. And it's physics. It literally is the physics of what every organization or team on the planet is responsible for. And and the first thing, guys, about the performance pathway is it simply describes what is. So think about what I just said and, and picture in your mind. I'm sure you've seen the diagram of leadership, culture, behavior flowing left to right. So if you have mediocre leaders, they're going to create a mediocre culture, which is going to drive and sustain mediocre behavior, which will produce mediocre results. That's just the way life works. That's physics. And it's not possible. And this is interesting. Those three dynamics, those three disciplines determine how well you execute your strategy. Now, think about this. If you have an A-plus strategy and a mediocre pathway, what do you get? A-plus strategy, A-plus game plan, and then a a, a, a B-minus or B-plus pathway. What do you get? At best, B minus or B plus. There's no strategy that's, that you, it's going to overcome the pathway. Yeah. And that's why I, I know, I've not seen bad strategies. I've seen a ton of poor leadership, poor culture. Maybe you've heard the phrase culture eats strategy for lunch. Well, that's because of the pathway. So I'm a huge fan of X's and O's. I love drills and skills. I love game planning. I love strategy. I love all that. But I understand something for sure after 40 years is that leadership, culture, behavior determines how well you execute your strategy. And the reason why is leadership, culture, behavior is about engagement, energy, and execution. And I always, always like to look at a coaching staff or look at a leader, an executive in a business and say, I get your passion for execution, but you understand where it comes from. You, you can't demand execution. You have to lead execution. And, and culture is critical because culture is what leads when no one's watching. If the only way you execute is if managers and supervisors micromanage people, you've got a very poor culture. And the game, the, the sport that you guys coach, the game that you guys coach, you're not on the field with those young men. But on a Friday night, your guys take the field. It's it's a, it, and what's going on in that field is a reflection of leadership and culture. How they behave in a football game, right? That's and I'm not, and frankly, how they behave on you know Saturday night away from you guys. Is a reflection of culture. So that's the pathway: leadership, culture, behavior, and they all matter. Leaders drive and, and, and determine the culture. The, the culture energizes and, and determines behavior, and the behavior that produces results. 
in your time as a consultant and you go around the country and you've, you consulted with, and we're going to talk about you know, what your work with Ohio State, but I know you, you've also consulted with other sports franchises and businesses. Can you give us a, a, a business or an example or, or someone who has, who has executed that pathway in such a way that it has achieved those uh, elite results? Yeah, there's lots of examples. I mean, I, I think the first one that would be most relevant for your audience, and I think maybe what, what got your guys' attention was Ohio State football 2014 when the Buckeyes won the national championship. You know, it was, and it was the, and the story of that year is amazing because you know, we had Braxton Miller, who was Big Ten Player of the Year two years in a row, I mean, dynamic football player, Heisman candidate, and just, you know, just a dynamic um, player. And he tore up his shoulder a couple of weeks before the season started in fall camp. And he started a redshirt freshman from Texas, J.T. Barrett. Never taken a meaningful snap, never taken a snap of college football. And that was our starting quarterback. And uh, we, we played our first game against Navy, played poorly, won the game, but we, we looked, we looked uh, mediocre at best. And that was an away game in Baltimore. And then we went home and played the home opener against Virginia Tech and looked awful on that beat. One of the rare times Ohio State ever lost the home opener. And it was pretty evident that this football team, you know, was just not ready to play that level of football. And the story from there on out is legendary. And, and, and Ohio State just got better every week. But a big believer in doesn't matter, get better. A big believer in uh, if you lose, it's a lesson. If you lose, it's feedback. If you make mistakes, it's feedback. And you learn from it. And E plus R equals O, right? Event plus response equals outcome. You don't control events. You control how you choose to respond. And our players have been trained in E plus R equals O. And our coaching staff was trained in E plus R equals O. And that's the behavior skill, by the way. And the leaders led that. And that was the culture of Ohio State. And the culture, you know, there was very specific things the culture says, but at the heart of it is make your R stronger than any E you face. Relentless effort, competitive excellence. Elevate. Go to the next level. And if you, if you don't, you know, if you make a mistake, you lose, you don't do well, go figure out why and fix it and come back and swing again, get back in the arena and go. And we did. And every week, Ohio State got better and better. And everyone had written off Ohio State. Like, there's no way they're in the national hunt. But we went from a you know, top five team to, I think, like, 24 or something. I, I don't know. It just plummeted in the polls. And every week, they got better. And then they just, they, they you know, JT blossomed, started setting records. I mean, he broke great t- Big Ten records that year. And then, lo and behold, we played the team up north in our final regular season game. At the end of the third quarter, JT Barrett breaks his ankle. Yeah. So all the yeah. hopes of the Ohio State, you know, it, it's going to fall upon the short shoulders of, of, of our third string quarterback, who had never played any meaningful football, Cardell Jones. And he came in, led us to that win and uh, in that particular game. But now, you know, we got to play the, the Wisconsin Badgers in the Big Ten championship game, and they had a phenomenal football team. That's right back in the country. I think he finished second in high school that year, second or third. Uh, one of the best defenses in the whole country. Ohio State beat him 59 to nothing in that game. And Cardell threw, I think, three touchdown passes. And that's his first start of his life. Yeah. Yeah. And then so they chose, they, it's all, you know, it's all the performance pathway. It's just kicking in, it's just cumulative. And then, and then, you know, but you got another story. Then, 
big, big wait to see who's going to get this is first year of the playoffs. Then Ohio State was the fourth seed. We got in. But the good news is we're, we got in. The bad news is you're playing Alabama in, the, in, in New Orleans. And lo and behold, Ohio State beats Alabama. It's incredible. Yeah. Then they go to the national championship game and they beat they beat Oregon, win the first college football playoff. So that that's a dramatic example. We tell the story about that in the book above the line, but that's an example. But the same thing that I've seen in business. You see it in, in companies that hire us for safety, where their their safety records just just improved dramatically. We, uh, we've got companies that hire a client called the other day and they, they went from one and a half million dollars in sales to three and a half million dollars in sales using our system over the course of 18 months. So we see this kind of stuff all the time, and it's really cool to see people. And, and you know the real wonderful stories, guys? And I love to see businesses improve. I love to see um, uh, you know teams win games. The most exciting stories for me are the ones where people come home and say, here's how I'm using E plus R equals O in my home life. Yeah. My marriage has gotten better. I had somebody one time tell me, um, my husband went through our factory and he's hardly recognizable anymore. Like, who's my husband? Who's this guy? And yeah, what happened yeah. to him? Because he shifted how he responded at home to his wife and kids. Which is really, that's so fulfilling to me. That's that's super exciting from my vantage point. Well, anybody that hasn't read Above the Line is, uh, needs to. I think it's probably the best book on leadership that I've ever read. Um, I know it's made a big impact on how I how I lead, um, but let's let's take a minute and dig into the R factor, and and let's kind of talk about the R factor uh, in light of of the current situation with the coronavirus and and how how we how we're going to respond uh, and continue to grow and and um, improve as as leaders and people. Yeah, I mean, event response outcome, and you know we we teach that. In our factory, it's just we teach what it teaches, which is, and, and it's not about us making up content. It's us describing the way life works. I use the word physics a lot. So ERO is the physics of human behavior. And, and here's how life works. You don't control events. Events happen and they influence you and you can influence them, but you don't control them. You do control how you choose to respond. And it's your response that produces an outcome. That's E plus R equals O. That's just the way life works. And then ERO teaches that the outcomes that you get are determined by the responses that you choose. So if you want a better O, choose a better R. And I, and I love this system because the O is simply feedback about how well your R is working. And it, and, it, and it helps us focus and invest our energy on the one thing we control, which is the R. And you guys have heard the term control the controllables. Well, that's the heartbeat of R factor. Don't waste time and energy on things you don't control. Make sure you're focused on managing that that response. Now, with coronavirus, you know one of the things that we teach in our factor is win the moment, which means don't don't get don't get pulled into resentment about the past. Don't get pulled into fear of the future. Don't get pulled into anger about about you know what's going. On, but but win the moment. What does this situation require of me? And, and we make a distinction between how you feel is what you need to, versus what you need to do. Because how you feel is not always a good reference point for what you should do. And that's another R-factor principle. So the, the coronavirus is confusing, it's frustrating, it's anxiety-inducing. But another principle, as fear goes up, clarity goes down. 
as negative emotion goes up, clarity goes down. And one of the things that we know about human behavior is where your mind goes, you go. And your mind either creates barriers that hold you back or it builds bridges that move you forward. And I've been doing a lot of, of, of Zoom sessions and webinars for clients around coronavirus. And these very things is what I'm sharing with you. So I'll say what I just said again. And particularly under pressure, under under adverse circumstances, your, your mind either creates barriers that hold you back or build bridges that move you forward. And if if you're managing your R with a mental barrier, you're you're going to get your butt kicked by whatever, let alone coronavirus. But if when this adversity is happening and difficulties going on and confusions, and you press pause and you think and you gain clarity, okay, what does this require of me? This is difficult. This is challenging. But you know what? There's a discipline response in here somewhere. In the midst of this of, of this adversity, there's an opportunity. How can I take advantage of this? And then you build a bridge to the future rather than a barrier. And I've even had clients like on, a, on, on the left-hand side of the paper, write down mental barriers that you create. It's your self-inflicted barriers. Or do it as a team. On the right-hand side of the paper, write down bridges, mental bridges that move you forward. And then we get them to do that. And then you know, all of a sudden this list emerges on the left of negative mindset cynicism and pessimism and what we call a bcd blame complain defend and all this stuff on the left and you look at it and you're going yeah those are all barriers and they're mental and they're chosen and on the right hand side optimism vision collaboration empathy love courage passion innovation resilience we go, yeah those are bridges and we look at it where do you want to be left or right and people yeah. go i want to be in the right yeah awesome go create that go build that those are choices the left is easy, but it loses. The right is hard, but it wins. Does that make sense, guys, what I just said? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, and would you say, and I think I, I know your answer to this, but I just want to get your, I want to hear you, you, you talk about it a little more, that that left side is our default setting, right? Like that's kind of what we're yes, default yes, to choose. Exactly. But we have to yeah. actually make a conscious decision to pick those things on the right. Yeah, it's discipline versus default. Exactly. And, uh, and discipline over default, it's a vertical thing, but the same thing. So default is all that negative stuff. Default is that counterproductive barriers that we allow into our life. That's default. Discipline, on the other hand, is chosen. It's developed, it's built, it's learned, it's, it's cultivated. And we describe discipline behavior as intentional, on purpose, and skillful. We define default as impulsive, on autopilot, and resistant. And yeah, you picked up on it. That on the left, that, that, those barriers, that's default. On the right, the, the, the bridges, that's discipline. And, and, and to make it crystal clear, discipline doesn't mean punishment. It, it, the, the discipline word was hijacked by the punishment people a long time ago, which is sad. We, we've reclaimed it for its actual meaning. It doesn't mean punishment. It means learning. It's Latin for learning. So discipline behavior is learned. And I tell this all the time. And, and, and just to emphasize for all of your listeners, the, 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 the bridges mindset, the discipline mindset, the positive energy, the optimism, the, the resilience, the empathy, the toughness, those are, that's the mindset that you have to create. It is not natural to be resilient. It is not natural to be, to be calm and patient. It's not natural to be empathetic for a lot of people. You've got to create it. And I, and I think this is what really fools a lot of people about 
mental toughness training or mental training or mindset or attitudinal development or even mindfulness or whatever you want to call it, emotional intelligence. It's a learned skill. It is not natural. And you, there's techniques you have to use to put yourself into the mindset to respond well to life situations. And that's one of the reasons why you know America is we're an emotionally fragile society, guys. No doubt. We're an emotionally fragile society because no one trains in this. They don't teach it in school. And then you get a job and it's assumed and there's a, an occasional workshop on mindfulness or something. Or you're supposed to watch some webinar on emotional intelligence and it comes and it goes. There's no sustained leadership or accountability around it. And then you end up people are emotionally weak. And, and they feed on TV programs and read crappy books. And, you know, they, they go on Twitter and argue with people or spend too much time on Facebook. No wonder they're weak emotionally, weak mentally. And then the real test is you tell somebody that they're weak mentally and they're mad at you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I, I, I've had people say that to me. I, I go, look, I just gave you some input about your life. And you just reflected your mental weakness by getting upset and defensive. Look, what off to HR and complain. Yeah, you're weak. <laughs> you're exactly. fragile. Go, go ahead. Am I in trouble for saying all that? No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not, Coach. I mean, Tim, you are, you are, uh, man, you are bringing it. And, and I think Clint has a follow-up question, so I'll let him ask it. Yeah, um, you know, discipline and mental toughness is, is, is something that we're always trying to build as, as coaches. Could you give a, maybe one tangible strategy that, you know, we could utilize to help build that toughness and discipline? Yeah, let me, let me be clear about something, though. Um, mental toughness and, and being mentally strong includes the ability to be empathetic and loving towards people. So when I say toughness, I'm not just talking about how much you bench and your willingness to do hard workouts without complaining and you know, work through you know, work through the bumps and bruises and pains. And, and I, I'm also talking about the ability to sit down, be quiet, be empathetic and really listen to somebody else and in effect then get off your own agenda because I think self-centeredness is weakness. I think arrogance is, 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 is emotional weakness. I think a lack of being uh, uh, transparent and real is emotional weakness. So let's not, uh, let's not fall into that trap of equating toughness with um, sort of this masculine image of the tough guy. Because I know a lot of men who think they're strong when, when they're really not. Because when asked to... I, I, a college coach called me yesterday, uh, major major coach, major team, and we had a long talk about about this. And, and I said, how effective are you at coming home from a hard day at work and, and maybe after a loss or, or you're working on a game plan for the big game coming up and, and long hours and you come home and it's evident your wife needs you. Do you pick up on that and you drop all your football stuff and tune into your wife? Because if you can't do that, you're weak. Yeah. Ooh. And and this guy, um, you know, he, he he heard that. I think. You know, I think he listened to that. So, um, so mental toughness, just just the whole toughness thing. Um, the way we feel. And here's so let me let me paint a picture for you. And and we call this the mindset cycle. And I want you to picture four boxes. One at the top, 
and then and then around a circle next to the, the one to the, to the to the right, which would be you know, three o'clock on the clock, and then the bottom is was six o'clock on the clock, and then keep going around clockwise and nine o'clock on the clock. Can you see it? Four boxes. Yep. Yep. Top three o'clock, six o'clock, nine o'clock, and then back to twelve o'clock. The top box says focus. The next box says self-talk. The next box says feeling. The next box says action. That's how the human mind works. That's it. That's how the human mind works. That's the cycle. And it's always operating. It never stops. And whether you know it or not, you're focusing on something, you're talking to yourself, the self-talk, telling yourself a story about how you see the situation, and you're focusing yourself on create how you feel, and then your feelings drive what you do. I'll put it another way. It's visual, verbal, emotional, behavioral. What the brain does. First it sees that the visual element. Then the brain is verbal. It talks to itself, not out loud. This is internal self-talk, this internal dialogue. And then the seeing and the, and the, and the saying, the, the visual, the verbal, produces the emotional. And the emotion is energy. Your feeling is energy. It's both, it's both psychological and physiological. There's a genuine physiological feeling. It's not just psychological. When I say feeling, I mean psychology and physiology. Electrochemical, there's hormones, there's body chemistry. It's literally physical, right? And then, and then that energy, the emotional energy, drives action. So mental toughness is the ability to focus on what matters and, 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 and get rid of all distractions. Right. Number one test of, uh, and skill of the mental toughness is the ability to find and focus on what matters and ignore everything else. Managing your attention, right? Like what do you give your attention to? If you've heard our teaching, if you've been around our workshops, we say all the time, just because something gets your attention doesn't mean it deserves your attention. And the human brain is attracted to a lot of things that, that, that don't deserve our attention. If the human brain is attracted and tends to give its attention and focus to things that either don't matter or can be counterproductive. For example, there's something called negativity bias in the mind, in the brain. Our minds are attracted to negative more than positive. It's just that's the human condition. We, we're, we're attracted to problems way more than we're attracted to solutions. And when we find a problem, we'll fixate on it. And fix it, and then we'll talk to it. That's the second piece of the cycle, right? We talk to ourselves. We assign meaning to it verbally. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, that sucks. That's horrible. He or she is this, or he or she is that. And he's a moron, or whatever. I'm really complaining. And when you get that visual verbal, that focus and self talk is negative. How are you going to feel? You will feel negative. But here's and here's the here's the seductive thing. Here's the self deceit. We believe that the event created our negativity. No, it didn't. Yeah. No, it didn't. Your focus and your self-talk created your feelings, not the events. I can take two people who are experiencing the exact same situation, exact same event. One is energized and motivated and resilient, and the other is scared to death. They're experiencing the exact same situation. So it's not the situation to create an emotional state. It's the inner mechanisms of the people. It's their mental state. Focus and self-talk are the most important things that we need to manage in our life. And mental toughness is the ability to focus on what matters and talk to ourselves in a way that energizes productive emotion. That's what that's what that's what mental toughness is. In a drill, 
Guys are getting tired. Guys want to quit. Guys are paying attention to the physical discomfort. And got three or four guys that are mentally tough who are doing positive, productive self-talk, encouraging themselves and each other. Let's go. This is good for us. We call it the edge. Let's go to the edge. Productive discomfort. Embrace it, boys. Let's go. This is our opponents right now are quitting. We're not going to. Let's go. That's all you got, coach. Give me another drill. Let's go. Let's go again, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Give you an example. Uh, we're in Ohio Stadium that 2014 season. Uh, we're, we're, we're doing team runs. And Coach Vick is putting the team through horrendous uh, stuff. And they, at the end, they're going to do these uh, runs across the field, back and forth. Back and they do it by, by grouping, right? So you know, the, the, the faster guys, there's receivers and backs and DBs, and then you know, the, the backers, and then, and then the linemen. And, and they're back and forth. They're going. And this is the end of all this other stuff. But I mean, it's really hard. It's hot. It's humid. It's. You know, and, and the glamour of, and again, it's Ohio State, and there's no, there's no, you know, this is what, July or something, and there's nobody in the stadium but us, and there's there's no band, there's no ESPN, there's no helicopters, I mean, there's no cameras, it is just our guys. And guys are puking, and it's just, I mean, it is, it's, it's hard. Classic coach man, right? So, it's all done. It's all over, and, and, and everybody's just like so happy, and I think it was Jack Newhart, the lineman, or captain. Stands up. I, mean, I think I thought he puked and he comes over and goes, just go. We're not done. And everybody looked at him like, what? And Coach Baker looked at him. And Coach Baker shook his shoulder like, if you want to do another one. And, and, and Jack said, no. No, no, no. Because we had lost the Big Ten Championship the year before to, to Michigan State. And Jack referenced that and said, we have to do better. We have to do more. We've got to do Come on, guys. And he led the whole team on some more of those runs back and forth across the Wow. Why? Why? Because of his focus and his self talk. Do you think he felt like it? Was it did he physically feel like doing it? No way. But his mental overrode his physical. So I think the ultimate test of mental toughness is when what you need to do doesn't align with how you say it again. The ultimate test is when how you, what you need to do doesn't align with how you feel. And that's the test. What 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 do you decide to do? Do you override the feeling with a disciplined thought, with a disciplined focus, with a disciplined self thought? And can you can you can you recognize in yourself? When, you guys mentioned discipline over default. We say don't listen to the default voice. Don't listen to the default voice. You know it's it's um it's very the default voice is is um, very misleading, and it is uh. It's it, you gotta be it's it's careless, it's convincing. Uh, don't listen to it. And you're always listening to one or two voices. An above the line voice or below the line voice, a, a discipline or default voice. Mental toughness is the ability to create and listen to the discipline voice. Does that help? Is that is that clear what I just said? Got a long long explanation, but is that is that clear in your mind? Description? Absolutely, absolutely, coach. Absolutely, or absolutely. And, I, and I'm, I'm sorry I keep referring to you as coach because I'm usually talking to coaches on here. But I, I, well, half the half the people call me coach. Right? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that, that's cool. There, there's that's definitely. Good. I'm sure you've been called worse uh, in your in your lifetime. So, well, you talked about uh, earlier about you know owning your 20 square feet, and I think that goes right in line with your focus because when you're focused on owning your 20 square feet, then you're not thinking about all the outside things and outside distractions mm-hmm. that are getting your attention. So talk more about what it means to own your 20 square feet. 
Yeah, it's a metaphor we came up with a long time ago in teaching it all this time. You know, you, you, you gotta, I'll, paint, I'll paint a verbal picture for you. Big box that says team or, or organization, a smaller square inside that box that says unit or department, and then a smaller box still says 20 square feet. And 20 square feet is just a metaphor that, that communicates every person on the team Every person in the school, every person in the organization has a sphere of ownership. 20 square feet. It's not literally 20 square feet. It's not, a, I just joke with people, and when I teach this in Europe, it's not even square feet, it's metrics. So it's, yeah. and, and 20 yeah. is, a, is an arbitrary number. Doesn't, but what it means is that's the sphere of what you own, of what you can control. Outside your 20 square feet, you have impact. Inside your 20 square feet, you have control. That's, that's what we communicate. And it's a fact. And, does it, and, and you may not feel like that you own your 20 square feet, but you do. And if you don't feel like you own your 20 square feet, that's probably because you've been, to your point, focused on and complaining about stuff on the outside. So our, our comments to people, no matter what organization you're in, big or small, athletic or academic or, or, or commercial, own your 20 square feet. you got 20 square feet of the highway when you drive. you got 20 square, 20 square feet of the family that you live in. you got 20 square feet of America. That's your sphere of ownership. So own you on the inside. You are the only one who decides what goes on inside your 20 square feet, which is amazing. No one decides what to do in your 20 square feet or not do, but you. Now, outside you've got impact, and you don't control stuff on the outside. You do control everything on the inside. And the problem for a lot of people today is they are more aware of the irritating, frustrating things outside their 20 square feet then they are paying attention to what they're supposed to be doing on the inside. Yeah. And I say this, I, to me, the big quest is this. Don't, don't let the frustration on the outside diminish the fire on the inside. There's a saying that I have. I, there's a leadership version of it, and there's just a bit. Every day, here's my thing. Today, I get to work with purpose, serve people, solve problems, and bring energy. That's what I get to do every day. That alarm goes up today. I get to work with purpose, serve people, solve problems, and bring energy. Ah, man, it's going to be a great day. I'm going to, today, there's going to be problems today. Awesome. Let's, let's go work on them. There's going to be some irritating people today. Awesome. Let's deal with them. There's work for me to do. Great. Let's go do it. I love it. Let's talk about Ohio State and how you got involved with them. Clint, I'll let you go ahead and ask that question. Yeah, and, and really, Ohio State or, or any business, whenever whenever you um, start working with them, how, how do you identify potential problems and areas that need to be addressed and improved upon? Yeah, I mean, the Ohio State thing, uh, the story's been told, and it's it's pretty funny. Um, I was at a I was at a um, fundraiser at Urban and Shelley Meyer's house, and with just Urban and I just got to talking. And he asked me what I did for a living. I told him, and he immediately eyes lit up and said, "I love leadership and culture." And how do you do that? And not this, not this similar to the conversation guy we're having right now. He just immediately started asking about these things. And then we talked for a long time, and he said, "Finally, he said, hey, um, are you in, are you in town? Are you around tomorrow?'" I said, "Sure." He goes, "Could you come down to the Woody Hayes Athletic Center? I'd like to." talk more in depth about this. I said, sure. So I drove down um, that next morning early, observed some things that they were doing there, and 
we started to talk in detail about about how leadership culture behavior is built the system and long story let's go on that journey let's start let's, let's get to work and uh we've never stopped it's uh even now where you know he's retired from coaching at Ohio State and he's got an associate maybe there and doing a lot of things but he and I still do the podcast together and we're still working on teaching these principles it's uh it's it'll be a lifelong relationship he and I are like like uh, long lost brothers who found each other because we just have a passion for this kind of stuff uh, but it was it, you know the systems that we have allows us to go in and and identify because we have a very definitive model of leadership we have a very definitive model of culture a definitive model of behavior and you guys mentioned discipline over default so we ask what are the default behaviors in your organization how do people engage in bcb and there's an assessment up front that we do and so you know, once those conversations are had and those assessments and evaluations are completed we have a picture of what's going on uh, you know, where are the cultural weaknesses? What are the behaviors that exist but need to be changed? And uh, what, are, what are leadership gaps and, and various, and boom, from there we know. And so we develop a plan and pull the trigger and go. I know that, you know, again, when, when, you, when you, you talked about when you went, when you observed Coach Meyer and the Ohio State program, you said they had a lot of good stuff going on, but no system. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, mm-hmm. the, the trap that a lot of us coaches fall into is we go to a clinic or we go hear someone speak and we really like what they say and we try to bring it back and, and we sort of like piecemeal this thing together and it's a hodgepodge of you know, stuff. And we may slap a poster on the wall or we, you know, we come up with a new catchphrase or saying, but it really doesn't take root without a system. So talk about, like, how do you create a system to, to put all this stuff into so it's not just a poster on the wall or something you say, uh, you know, when you're breaking the huddle? Well, first of all, I have to understand what a system is. That's a word that's used. It's not understood very well. A system is an organized or integrated collection of component parts where every piece of the, every component part plays a significant role and it's clear what role that it plays. The system. I'll give an example. Uh, there's a chair. If you're, are you guys sitting down right now? Yep. And respectively, where you are. Yep. Okay. So if you're sitting in a chair, there's some kind of base to your chair. Now, let's just say that you guys are each sitting in a chair that has four legs, right? Well, those four legs are the stability system for your chair. What happens if you take one leg away? Yeah, it's going to be really wobbly and not stand up. Yeah. What if you take two legs away? Yeah, we can't use it. Yeah. So a system is an organized, integrated collection of component parts that work together to produce a a functional result. That's what a system is. Right. And Uh every piece of the system has to be clear about what role it plays and how it contributes to the whole. That's what a system is. And there are complex systems and then there are simple systems. Complex systems would be like the human body is a complex system. Lots of component parts inside the human body, lots of component parts. And it is, it is so complex that, that we even have you know, physicians who specialize in pieces of the system, orthopedic surgeons um, in the, the muscular system, and then internists who specialize on you know, the, 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 the inner workings of the heart and the, you know, the rest of the, the inner workings of the um, of part of the biological system. And you've got neuroscientists with the brain sets to get the point. So what, what we're after is a system for behavior. That's E plus R equals L. Three components, right? The event you have, the response you choose, the outcome you produce, that's a system. 
and then we've got a culture system, and then we've got a leadership system. And we've been saying we've done for leadership what we've done for behavior. What are the critical component parts of leadership? And 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 what are they? And that you have to have them. And and one of the tests about whether your system has integrity, like my chair example, is what if you remove one of those pieces? What happens to the system? Yeah. If you remove a piece from it and there's no problem, then that wasn't integral to the system. It was nice right. to have, but it wasn't right. necessity. So what we're after is simple systems for leadership, simple systems for culture, and simple systems for behavior. And then within ER, we're taking the behavioral system, then we've identified the six disciplines we're managing the R, which would be the six component parts of the ERO system. And that's what I mean by system. And when I explain that to Urban, and then, and then back up for a second, and then everything we teach, everything you do, it, it is looked at through the lens of the system. And the system allows you to see and understand, oh, that's how that works. So let me give you an example you guys really understand. What defensive system do you run? We run a 3-4 system. Oh, look, you've already described the structure. <laughs> Another component parts to it that you can identify? Um, yeah, yeah, so we, yeah. Like, like, what's what's the three mean in your system? Uh, the defensive lineman. What's the four mean in your system? The linebackers. Oh, I see. So you train and organize and, and and develop your players to play a very specific role inside that three-four system, right? Absolutely. And what if a player doesn't do his job? The whole system breaks down. Is it pretty clear what a system is? Yes. Yeah. Well, so when, I, when I ask a coach, what's your, what's your leadership system? A John Gordon book. No, it's not a system. It's yeah, a book. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a Tim Kite quote. No, that's not a system. It's a Tim Kite quote. Right. Most coaches don't have a system. And, and that's what I'm talking about. It, because, and it seems to me like when you do have a system and there is a breakdown, now you can go back and find out where the breakdown is. When there's no system, it's really hard to that's identify the, the problem. You just nailed it. You're hired. You're hired. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, again, when you are, when you do kind of like what you talked about, when you have guys say, all right, this book, guys, this is our, this is what we believe in right here. Okay, cool. What happens when, you know, the kids aren't going four to six A to B or they're not, they're not doing, there, there is, you know, rampant BCD. Then what do we do? Uh, hold on. Let me flip to chapter five and see what he said. You know, th- that's not a system, but when you do have that system, it's kind of like a, you know, a factory, you know, conveyor belt things, you know, when something goes wrong, you can go back and check, okay, oh yeah, this little part, we need to, we need to change that out. Let's fix that. Now we can, yeah. we can keep on rolling. Yeah. And, and I, and I will say, I will say, for example, um, and this is the benefit. I mean, I think it is, I'll, I'll push back a little bit. It is okay to open the book and say, what does the book tell me to do? Because if, if and this is the other thing about a good system, if you have a good system, you can study lots of books. Like, first, like, like, like um, and I'll, I'll give you an example. We just talked about mental toughness. E plus R equals O, the mindset cycle. And you can study the mindset cycle because there's a system. Like, what I just gave you guys, focus, self-talk, feeling, and action, that's a system for mindset. Well, this is what's really cool. There are John Gordon books out there that are very informative when understood through the lens of the system I just gave you. Yeah. The, the, the system structures stuff for you. Like if you were to come to my physical library, have you looked at have you looked at the the, the, the subdirectories in my file, my computer? I have everything structured according to our system. 
I might visit the library, which I'm looking at right now. I've got some different libraries around the house, but I organize my books according to those component parts. It allows me to absorb, understand, and apply other stuff faster because I have a structure, right. a system. Right. So it's okay to say, hey, I think we've got a, you know, like my job is being on optimist. And like, I, I think we're just too negative. But there's some John Gordon stuff that's really helpful. On. Yeah. So go study it, right? Yeah. Put it into a system. You know, when, when, when programs like Ohio State and companies that, you know, you work with and they, they, they kind of reach an elite status, there's a, when that occurs, there's a, there's a tendency to become complacent. How do you, how do you work with, um, you know, Ohio State, for example, or, or different companies to make sure that they continue to promote growth and they don't become complacent? Yeah, it, it's about, it's about um, leadership and culture. I mean, you, you have to be hungry. You have to you have to understand that yesterday's touchdowns will not win tomorrow's games. Because you have to understand that, and that's got to start with a head coach, and the head strength coach, and then the assistant coaches, and then your key athlete leaders. There's got to be a hunger to celebrate the win. And then Coach Meyer was always about this. We celebrate the win, and then we accept our next assignment and go back to work. And that's just a mentality, and it has to be verbally. And, and attitudinally displayed by the coaching staff and then also by the key players. And then you look for signs that maybe somebody's drifting, their focus is drifting, they moved into so this assumption, this complacency. But that's where guys like Coach Mick and, and Coach Meyer are so good is that, I mean, you don't have to spend much time around those guys. They are not complacent people. I mean, they're always, they're always on fire. And it doesn't get their team. I mean, they're, they, they work like crazy. and. There are times when you know you, you play like Ohio State's lost some games to uh, teams that had no business losing to, but it did. And and it's, we're talking the human spirit. Urban calls it he calls it um, uh, solve the mystery, and the mystery is the human mind, the human spirit. And it's pretty natural for a super talented team like Ohio State to say, "Man, we're we're so much more talented than Iowa." And then walk into Kinnick Stadium, and it, it's you now coaches didn't foster that. The coaches didn't, uh, and, and Ohio State lost to Iowa a couple of years ago, and it cost them dearly in the playoffs. They didn't get in the playoffs because of it. So it's it's very challenging, but it starts with the coaching staff, and they've just got to have that fire all the time, this nonstop fire all the time. They got to be really good at reading the players, like, and then and they've got these player leaders. To okay, what's you know what's what's the tone? What's in the locker room? What's going on when we're not around? And those are those are those key players that can tip off a coach to the mindset of the of the football team. So it's it's challenging. Coach Saban's done a great job at Alabama. Uh, obviously, uh, the sustained uh, success he's had. Now, Coach you know Dabo Sweeney, he's doing a great job bringing his guys up. Um, and right now, those are the three programs. Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson. And those are and Ryan Day now of Ohio State do a phenomenal job, and uh, it's just it's incredible to see that. So it starts with the coaching staff, and 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 then it's going to be DT players. So that's there's no no magic to it. It's just a lot of hard work. I know you work with you know football programs and, and Fortune 500 companies. You know how are they? How are football programs and companies similar, and, and how are they different? 
and are there things that you know that you could you could take from the business world world and incorporate into a football program or an athletic program? Well, the performance pathway and the, the component pieces that we teach don't change dramatically um, any place we go, whether it's a school or a pro team or a high school team or a college team or a bank or a hospital. Or, it's all the same. I mean, the physics don't change. People cycles up. It's always true. What we teach in leadership, always true. Amazingly little shift from domain to domain, um, which I think is unique. I mean, and that's also, I think, a testimony to and a reflection of the clarity of our systems. There's still a language might change a little bit, but the fundamentals are there. Um, and and that's, that's also reflected in when we do corporate things, for example. Um, this has happened to me yesterday where a uh, a person that heard me speak and is a significant executive in a significant global company and heard me speak in a business setting and said hey would you come and talk to my son's travel baseball team <laughs> i said sure and and the message doesn't change really how yeah. about that guys does that surprise you by the way what i just said uh, no, it really doesn't, because I, the thing I love about, you know, your leadership philosophy is it's they're, they're universal concepts. Mm -hmm. um, and so that doesn't, doesn't surprise me at all. But here's the big difference, and I tell this to the players all the time. Here's the big difference between athletics and business. In athletics, it's mostly practice and occasionally performance. Yeah. In business, it's always performance and really practice. Yeah. Every day is game day in a business. And I tell this to our guys who are graduating saying, please understand something. When you go get a job out there in the real world, don't expect it to be like college football. College football is practice. You know, we start practicing in the middle of July. I'm sorry, middle of January. And we don't play our first game until the first Saturday in September. That's all practice. You can't do that in business. Like, yeah, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to go sell anything or manufacture anything. For like six months, we're just going to train. We're just going to train. We're going to, you know, come to the company, come to the factory. We're not going to build anything. We're just going to practice, practice. We may scrimmage in other companies, maybe a you know intra-company scrimmage, but we're not going to actually sell anything. We're just going to. That doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, that's a so good you, point. Every day, every day is game day if you're in the business. It's a good point. And that's a shocker to some people who leave college and. They go, well, 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 wait a second. No, that's how it works, guys. Now, I would contend companies need to do a better job of practice. I don't think they're always as effective at, uh, at practicing like they should. But, man, it's it's game day every day if you're, you're in a commercial enterprise. Tim, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll close out with this question. And, and, you know, you're, you're talking to mostly – uh, high school football coaches and some college football coaches from around the country who are tuning into this podcast. If you could give those guys some advice, especially you know in in the in, in light of navigating you know the next few months where there really is no um, you know manual on how to do that and and what that's going to look like. If you could give those guys some advice, what would that be? Well, I don't I don't think it's necessarily exclusive to this COVID nineteen shutdown and. And, and but my, my fundamental thing popped into my head right when you said that was elevate your love without lowering your standards. Can you say That's that again? Elevate your love, but don't lower your standards. That be, being a great leader is being caring and demanding. 
It's not the balance of the two, it's the combination of the two. Great leaders are easy to follow and hard to please. And you can't push players any further than the level of trust that you built with them. And it's our job as coaches to push people beyond where they thought they were capable of going. But they will only let you push them as far as the level of trust that you've built with them. So it's the job of a coach to build trust for athletes and then push them really, really hard. And you're going to combine the trust without results, unacceptable. Results without trust, unsustainable. So elevate your love without lowering your standards. And to me, what that means is before you ask the athletes to give their hearts to you, you have to give your heart to your athletes. Man, great stuff from Tim today. So glad that he took the time to share with us. And I mean, Clint, I'm over here with pages of notes. How about you? Absolutely. I got a, I got a cramp in my hand. I was, I was writing so fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I felt like there were times where he was kind of waiting on us to respond. Uh, you know, he'd say something and kind of pause to give us some time to respond. And the only reason I didn't was because I was trying to hurry up and write down these things that he said. All right, well, let's do a little instant reaction from the conversation we just had there with Tim. You know, tell me some things that stuck out to you, and then I, I'll do the same. I think the first thing that sticks out is just his passion uh, for leadership. Um, obviously, he, he he understands leadership and, and, and how to teach it and, and gives you tangible things. But the thing that stuck out just speaking to him in person was his passion for leadership. You can tell uh, he's a person that, that really cares about leading the right way. Yeah, I I, uh, I loved what he said there at the beginning. He he talked about how you know when he went first and, and observed Ohio State's program that they were doing a lot of great stuff. But like a lot of organizations and teams and businesses, they were sort of dabbling in these systems. And I think we as coaches can do that a lot. You know, we go to clinics and we're like, okay, I like that. You know, you pick that. Okay, I like that. And we 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 bring this all back, but we don't have a, our own philosophy or system to put that stuff into. So it's just kind of a uh, like a hodgepodge of stuff and so i think that that he talked about how a lot of a lot of organizations and businesses are dabbling in systems but then once you actually develop a system that's where your 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 championship culture comes from is having a system so i really like that he 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 can he can develop culture um with the best of them i think i think the biggest my biggest takeaway was when we talked about mental toughness and and how he actually gave um, you know, the, the, the ways, the three ways to, to actually develop mental toughness by not focusing on, on the negative and the negativity bias and, um, and the event does not create the feeling. It's, it's the mental state and, and, and how you need to, um, align your actions with, with not necessarily the way that you feel. Um, I think that's, that's so critical. Uh, mm-hmm. When you're trying to develop mental toughness and, and, and young athletes in our in our profession, um, and to actually give them ways that they can develop that, and not just say, "Hey, you got to be tough," yeah, um, which yeah. is what a lot of coaches do. Yeah, and I think a point he 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 made sure that he that he made was that you know you also a part of of uh, mental toughness is the the ability to show empathy, you know, and and I think that's what we're always trying to instill in our our kids is. You know, to to care more about your teammate and care more about your team than, than than about yourself. And I think that, you know, if you have mental toughness without that empathy, then then that's really uh, you're going to be um, sabotaging yourself a little bit because 
You know, you get you want you want your kids to be empathetic towards others. Absolutely, it's it's counterproductive. To, yeah. If you yeah. don't if you don't have that empathy. Yeah. Um, and it, it, you're absolutely right. It works. It works against itself. Yeah. And he talked about when that mental toughness. One of the things he said that I thought was good was, uh, you know, he said, "Focus on what matters. Ignore everything else. Just because something gets your attention doesn't mean it deserves your attention." I thought that was a great a great point that he made there. Absolutely. So another thing he talked about, and and I didn't know this until I, I, I did some digging on on Tim, kind of before I interviewed that. You know, he he ran track at Ohio State for a year, then he went and finished up at UCLA, and so he was around John Wooden uh, at that time. And, and so you know, I I got to ask him about that, and and one of the things that he said that that Coach Wooden said, or a statement that he made that I really really liked, and I wrote this down was that you know the role of a coach is to communicate, educate, and motivate never intimidate. And when I hear that last part, man, I shudder because I know, especially as a young coach, man, I was like all about the intimidation part, right? Like you're trying to intimidate these kids and it usually doesn't work out very well. But uh, I really think that that's, that's those three words that the communicate, educate, and motivate those, that's, that's our job. And it, it, when we try to intimidate, you know, that may work for a little bit. We can get kids scared of us and they'll play because they're scared of us for a little while, but that's not going to how, or that's not how you're going to build sustained success yeah that 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 really stuck out to me first of all you kind of threw me a curveball because I, I didn't know that you didn't tell me the, the background of that um and so when you said that he he had um, been around coach wooden it yeah. kind of caught me off guard yeah. but it really stuck out with me um because when i you know i have the same you know even now i'm a, been coaching a while and I, I probably have a tendency um to get impatient uh, something that that I need to work on, and I think when I get impatient with things, um, instead of trying to motivate or educate or communicate, I might result to um, in, in intimidation. And so that that was something that, that stuck out to me for sure. Yeah, yeah. And then the last thing that I wrote down, and this is something I first heard. I, I already I mentioned this episode at the top of the show, but there's an episode from this Focus Three podcast called uh, Diffusion of Responsibility. It's a couple couple episodes back, but he talks about at the very beginning of that episode about owning your 20 square feet. And he mentioned that in our conversation today. And, and I love that concept because, you know, we are in a society where, where, where we love to play the victim. We love to be the victim and blame things on other people. But he talks about, you know, we're all responsible for our 20 square feet, that, that space around us. Um, and, and that if we can control that, then then we're going we're gonna to be okay and we're going to be well on our way to, to being mentally tough and all those other things. And he said, don't let the frustrations on the outside extinguish the fire on the inside. I thought that was really, really good. That, that's a really good podcast um, that, to listen to. Coach Meyer tells a really good story in that podcast about tug of war. Um, and I, I won't give the story away, but um, the listeners should definitely go check out that podcast. It's really good about just ownership um and ownership within within the framework of of a team as well uh it's a great podcast well again you know great stuff from from tim today be sure to follow him on twitter uh at timothy kite and be sure to check out his podcast with coach urban meyer which is entitled focus three podcast for more information on the things tim talked about today visit the focus three website and that's focus three.com that's focus the number three.com and if you haven't already done so, pick up a copy of Above the Line and read it. You can find links to that book, Focus Through website, and some other helpful links in the show notes of today's episode. Also, make sure you follow our show at KYPD Podcast 
on Twitter and give Clint a follow as well. Clint, what's your uh, what's your Twitter Twitter handle? Um, I think it's at Clint underscore Fuller. Okay, I think you're right. I'm gonna I'll have your I'll have your Twitter handle in the show notes as well. So if you guys want to follow Clint, you can find that there also. Now, Clint, before we get out of here, I put this question up on Twitter recently, and and this question deals with a concept that I brought up in our previous episode with with Coach Ruffin McNeil. And the the question was, what advice would you give to younger guys trying to build their coaching network? And I got some great uh, feedback from that question. And I'm going to share some of those. But before I do that, I'll throw that question over to you, Clint. What would you say to that? Um, I think the key, the key for, for me developing my kind of coaching network um, is early in my career, make those connections with the people on your staff um, because those people are going to go out and get jobs and, 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 and they're going to know people. Um, and so, um, you know, making connections with, with the people, strong connections and building relationships with the people on your staff early on your early in your career is is, is has been really uh, critical um, for for my career arc, um, and so that would be my advice. You know, um, develop those relationships with the people that are on your staff right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's super important. I mean, even I'm go back to my first job, uh, which was you know I, I was there, uh, you know, left in, in 2013, I guess. But, you know, I'm still call, still call those guys and talk to those guys all the time. And, and you know, I think that's, that's extremely important because that's going to kind of frame how you feel about the profession. You know, I think a lot of guys get out of coaching because they had a bad experience at their first job. And I think if you fail to, to build those relationships, then it's going to be really tough for you. Now, I want to share uh, – I'm going to share some, some answers that I got to this question uh, from Twitter because I thought they were really, really good. And I have uh, four, four uh, responses here that I'll share that I thought were really, really good. One of them actually comes from a boy, Darby. I'll read his here in a second. But first one is uh, from Coach Adam Morris, and he said this, use other coaches as a resource to get better, but don't make every conversation about things you need. Wish guys good luck. Check in to see how they're doing or just say hi. Don't just use them as a resource. Build a relationship. And I thought that a really good point because I think sometimes we, we align ourselves with these other guys who we think can help us, but then that's all we use them for is like, hey, can you, you know, do you got a job opening or can you get me – can you get me in touch with this or can you, can you, can you send me some film or send me some clips? And I think that is definitely the wrong way to go about that. You gotta, you gotta develop friendships and that, that your friends are the ones that are going to help you uh, along the way. Not, not just, you know, a, a, a coworker. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really important. Yeah. Okay. Darby, who is uh, Jonathan Darby, who's our, our DB's coach here at PG. Uh, this was his response. And this, I mean, I like this because this is him, you know, like this isn't just him putting something out on Twitter, but he said, handwritten letters in a digital age, it's something that makes you different. I keep everyone I get. And that is something we do here. You know, Josh, Coach Gibson, our head coach, we do, we write a lot of of letters to each other, to players. Uh, And so I I think that's definitely a great way to build relationships, build that network. And, And Darby does a great job of that, of building those relationships. Uh, but handwritten letters, that's a lost art, and I think that's that's for sure something that sets you apart from other people. Yeah, I get I get a handwritten letter from from one of one of my buddies that I, that I coach with every year. And the first year I got it, I was like, "What is this?" And like an envelope with my with an address on it. I was like, "What is this?" And I opened it up, um, and and just like Darby said, you know, I, I keep those because they they for some reason they they mean a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah. To me, you know. Yep. 
Yeah, no doubt. Okay, so next response was from Coach Chris Gilbert. He's the head coach at Lancaster. Uh, great follow on Twitter also, especially if you like uh, you know, grilling, barbecue, and smoking meats and stuff like that. He's always putting some great stuff out there. So shout out to Coach Gilbert. Uh, here is his response. Relationships. Build them. Introduce yourself at track meets, powerlifting meets, wrestling meets. Here coaches have some opportunity to visit periods of time casually. The logo they're wearing that day may change at some point. One day they may, they may just become a decision maker, so be cordial. And I think that's a good point to remember that, you know, although this, this guy today is, you know, at a small Division three school, you know, he may be a, a head coach at a Power 5 school, uh, in, you know, in five to ten years, you know, or maybe you're, you're talking with a, a coach that's, a, you know, just an assistant at some tiny little high school uh, out in West Texas or something. You know, that guy may be the head of THSCA in, in, in a decade or so. So you, you just never know who it is you're talking to. Yeah, I was I was actually looking looking at Twitter yesterday, and I saw a guy that that I knew back 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 when, and he just got named as the uh, assistant athletic director of a of a of a pretty big school district. And you know, you just you just don't know. It. Guys are always moving up the ladder, and so you just want to make those connections, and you want to make them real. Um, going back to the the friendship part of it, you want to create friendships, and 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 don't. Uh, build those bridges because you never know um, what's going to occur in the future. Absolutely. Last one I'll share, and this is from Coach Chad Rogers, who's the uh, head football coach and athletic director uh, over there at Denison. And he said this, realize everyone you meet knows something that you do not know. Learn humility early, and the lesson is not as dramatic. You're going to learn it, so create a network of trusted advisors. Involve yourself in local, state, and national organizations like AFCA, THSCA, etc., Build relationships with college coaches. I like what he talked about how, you know, if you, when you learn humility early and you kind of get that lesson early, then it's not as dramatic when you get on that big stage. You know, like make your mistakes with the seventh grade B team, you know, so that sure. and, and learn from it so that you're not making those same mistakes and you're calling it on Friday night. Absolutely. I make, I make a lot of mistakes with the, with the seventh and eighth graders because you and I go over there every day. So we, we get to we get to try it out on them and then by the time we get, you know, to the afternoon and we're with the varsity guys, we can we can learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's you know, that's a tough lesson for young coaches and, and I, I would still consider us to be you know, we're we're fairly young coaches. Um, you know, although my body is still recovering from a a, a basketball game that we all uh, <laughs> took part in a, a week ago. I'm still feeling some aches and pains from that. So maybe I'm not as young as I think I am, but um, you know, was it's, that a basketball game or a wrestling? Yeah, game? yeah. Well, yeah, you a wrestling. It was, it was definitely 1980s style basketball. But yeah, you know, it's it's hard sometimes when you're young because you you know you just that's just how you are. You feel like you can you can do it all, you can coach it all, and and you always just you tend to notice that those older guys who've been around in a while they they really are humble and they don't have to talk about how good they are or how successful they've been because you just they just do it. You can just see in their actions. That's just a lesson for sure that you definitely want to learn as a, as a young coach and, and get that down to, to be humble. And, and again, I think if there was one common thread through all of this is that, you know, build genuine relationships with people, no matter who they are, no matter what their school logo says. And that's how you're going to make that network. You have to recognize that, that everyone's important and everyone has something to, to share and, and to help you grow. And if the sooner you realize that, um, the better off you'll be in networking, the better off you'll be as a coach, the better off you'll be as a teacher, uh, the better off you'll be as a husband and a, and a father. 
And that will do it for episode number 60 of KYPD. Thank you for checking us out. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It really does help out our show and helps other coaches find us. Until next week, hey, own your 20 square feet, win the moment, and get that blaming, complaining, and defending crap out of here. And Tim, what else am I missing? Go do the work and keep it the best going.